rounded into the second book of Psalms. So there's really uh, five books of the Psalms, right? Book one is Psalms 1 through 41. There are some that believe the first two Psalms are actually set apart as their own. That kind of is a prelude to the entire thing, and you can read it that way. Book two, Psalms 42 through 72. Book three, 73 through 89. And book four, 90 through 106. Book five, 107 through 150. So five books. Uh, Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses. Uh, So a psalm that was written around 1400 B.C., uh, which is around the time Moses lived. And some believe that Ezra, 19, Ezra may have composed, and that would have been at least a 1,000 years after Moses wrote his psalm, Psalm 90. Uh, Some also believe that Ezra is the one that compiled the books, right, and took the five of them and put them together into what we now have as the book of Psalms. Again, the Elohim, the praises, the Psalms. And so uh, that's just, you know, interesting. Uh, and uh, so the <laughs> when, when I go to the exercise class that I go to, like there's rounds, you know, usually there's at least six, if not seven stations. And when we get through a round, I'm always like, okay, there's just one more, right, or four more, or seven more, which was Saturday. There was eight rounds on Saturday. But each one you kind of count off, and you're like, okay, I made it through one. I always want to get halfway, because halfway and one step more, it's harder to go back than it is to go forward. So I always want to get halfway and one step more. And uh, so we're through round one of Psalms. We're actually a little bit into round two. In case, uh, in case you've been wondering when we will ever be done, we will be. Uh, but we're through round one of the Psalms. And when we moved into Psalm 42, we started a stretch of, uh, and really, even though 43 is not attributed to the sons of Korah, it probably is because 43 really seems to be an extension of 42. And it's an, an acrostic poem, and so it continues on from where 42 ends. So more than likely, there's 12 psalms attributed to the sons of Korah, right? When you read that uh, appellation at the beginning uh, of the psalm, it says, of the sons of Korah. 46 uh, says, for Alamoth is another word, which they believe that it's, it's written for the female part in singing, right? That it's written as a high, as opposed to another term called Sheminith, which means for a low voice, we don't know for sure. This is these are things that that people think, but we're now in a in a stretch of seven or eight, depending on what you think about Psalm forty three, of psalms that are all attributed to the sons of Korah, and so I thought it would be fitting to talk a little bit about their genealogy at the start today. So the sons of Korah are obviously uh, have an ancestor named Korah, right? And Korah has a little bit of history that we're going to read about. He was a Levite, and he's most famous, and there's multiple Korahs, but this one in particular, whom these guys are sons of, he's most famous for a rebellion against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness after they've come out of Egypt, right? So God's done great things in rescuing his people from Egypt, 
He sent ten plagues, uh, and he has caused uh, amazing things to be able to bring his people out, as he had promised he would do 400 years earlier. And he brings them out, and Moses is the one that he had sent back after he fashioned Moses' heart over time from being a son of Egypt, a prince of Egypt, into a shepherd. And that shepherd's heart that he developed in Moses. And so we see Korah and a couple of other guys rising up against him here. Um, He's the great-grandson of Levi, and he's actually a cousin of Moses and Aaron. So, you know, you may have Christmas dinner coming up that you're not looking forward to that cousin. Moses may have felt that way about Korah. Oh, this guy again. Oi, I guess he would say, right? Oi, vey, Korah's coming. Did you have to invite him? Um, So, (laughs) number 16 gives some references to Korah's reasons, and it it seems to be about Moses exalting himself. We're going to be in 15, so you don't have to turn it. or you can read instead of listening to me if you want. Um, Moses exalting himself and Aaron over everyone else. But if we go back to Numbers 15, it tells of an Israelite who's caught collecting wood on the Sabbath. And the people don't know what to do. And so they, they hold him like they put him in whatever jail they had, I don't know, the little wood sticks and stick it around him and say, you got to stay here. And they, they inquire of God what to do, and God says, stone him. Stone him. You have to get rid of this evil, of, this, of, of people not understanding that they need to follow the rules that I'm telling them, that they need to follow my commandments. And so the entire community comes together, and they stone this guy. And then God tells them, he tells Moses to have the Israelites put tassels at the corners of their garments with a blue thread that would remind them of the law. And these garments are called talits, and the knotted fringes or tassels are called zitzit. So God, in Numbers 15, verses 38 and 39, gives this direction to Moses. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So uh, rabbinical sources uh, say that Korah argued with Moses. And he said, he said, wait a second. If this whole garment, instead of just one thread in each of the, the, the whole garments covered in tassels, but just at the corners, one blue thread in each of the corners, he says, what if we dye the whole thing blue? Does that not meet the requirements? And Moses says, no, it doesn't. And Cor says, how can you say that? How can that be true? If we wouldn't be reminded by the whole thing. Korah, and again, these are rabbinical sources that are far after the fact. It's almost like their commentary on the story, right? But this, you know, this is, this is what they thought uh, may have occurred. And, and Moses says, yes, Korah replies incredulously, the blue color of the talit 
does not make it ritually correct, yet according to your statement, four blue threads do so. And this color, this blue color was special to them. And he says, Korah doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. And he's trying to, he's trying to prove himself right. God has said, do things this way. And we can go way beyond what God says and say, well, this will make it better. (laughs) Let me take what God has suggested and make it better. And that's one of the great ways of legalism. Let me take what God has said and I will make it better. And if you say the sentence slow enough, you go, ooh, that doesn't sound right. Now does it, right? But if your goal is to prove a point and your goal is to be above someone else, then it makes perfect sense. It's just an argument, right? Let's make the whole thing blue. That's not what God said, Cora. Uh, they also say the main cause that Korah was upset is that Moses named Elazaphan as the leader of the Kohathites instead of him. And that burned Korah, and all throughout the, you know, the rest of his, what's going to be a short life, uh, he's upset with Moses about that. So um, I brought up the stoning of this man for a reason, because I think that may have been the pretext that Korah then gathered people around him and said, how can we allow this to go on? Because Korah says, the entire congregation is holy, not just you, Moses the entire congregation. And so we may have gone to these guys and said, he just killed an Israelite. He's holy just like the rest of us. How could Moses do that? Don't you guys want to follow me instead? And he gets uh, Dathan and Abiram and this other guy, On. These, um, these guys are of the tribe of Reuben to follow him, and 250 other what it describes as men of renown that all come to Moses and say, we're not following you. We think we should be in charge. And so uh, let's, uh, let's go to chapter 16 here. And we'll read what happened to these guys. Numbers chapter 16. It's right after 15 where you were already. All right. Now Korah, the son, verse 1, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. If you're focused on being a man of renown, be careful. If you're focused on being something rather than saying, God, what do you have for me? Watch out. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. 
and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, So Moses humbles himself in front of everybody, right? He doesn't start arguing with Korah immediately. He gets mad, and we'll see that he gets mad later, but he falls on his face, and he says, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel? to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them. And that he has brought you near to himself, you and your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. Are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? Like Moses just tested. (laughs) Why are you dragging Aaron into this, he says. But these guys... He says, isn't it enough, this? Isn't it enough for you? And we question God all the time about what it is that we have. And we say, no, it's not enough. And I want more. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, these other guys that had joined, uh, that had joined Korah. But they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. They were a little impatient for the promises of God, right? You, one, you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey where we were slaves, where our... Um, where our children, where our male children were murdered. You brought us up out of this great place. Where has God brought you from? Where has God brought you up out of? Do you look back at it longingly? That's what these guys are doing. And... They want what God has promised, and they want it now. Impatience is the salvation of your soul. Not impatience. I said that to somebody the other day, and they're like, impatience is the salvation of my soul? And they kind of liked it. Like, I am patience. Impatience. That means not patient, by the way. That's not the salvation of your soul, right? You may think, great. Oh, yeah, good. I can be impatient. But in patience is the salvation of your soul. Then Moses, verse 15, was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. Then Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. 
So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered, uh, gathered all the congregation against them, these 250 guys, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may kill you to everybody. And then Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and say, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with the whole congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And everybody goes, (laughs) and they move over and get away from their tents. Uh, then Moses rose, verse 25, and went to Datham and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around, so they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men, with Korah, with their, all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all, the, then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, and they also said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So Korah, Dathan, and Abiram swallowed up by the earth. The 250 that joined them, fire comes down from heaven and consumes them, burns them up. As one person's sin can have a grave impact on a whole bunch of other people. And then, I'm not going to read the whole rest of the chapter, but the the rest of the congregation then complains against Moses for what happened. And a plague breaks out against them, and Aaron runs in and stops this plague, offering incense to God. Another 14,700 die from the plague because Korah wasn't satisfied with what God had given him because it wasn't enough. So this is the legacy of the sons of Korah, right? This is the legacy of the sons of Korah. The uh, own um, seems to be spared. You know, it's very interesting in the story. You've got Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They continually get mentioned. This guy, Own, that was with them, He's never mentioned after that, and he's not, it's not said, God does not say, I'm going to destroy this guy as well. Did he repent? Did he relent? <coughs> foolishness that we're pursuing. We can step back from foolishness that we're pursuing 
if we'll look at the reminder that God has given us of who he is. One, four, four threads, one on each corner. Hard to see if you're not looking for him. We've got to look for what God wants for us. All the rest of it, it's like a whole bunch of white noise or blue noise. And if Cora wanted to make the whole thing blue. The New Testament writer Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, compares Korah to the angels who are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment, angels who were not content with where God had placed them. And he warns the church of men who were like them when he wrote, Certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. People like this certainly exist in the church today. What causes it? Exactly what God said in Numbers 15. In the King James, it says that you would whore after what your hearts and eyes are inclined to. And I don't, I don't use that word to offend, but I think it's important that we understand what we're doing, right? When you picture that, you know, it's a stronger word than harlotry. I'm not trying to be edgy and use words that provoke people, but I think we need to get a sense of what we're doing when we sin. We are whoring after what our hearts and eyes are inclined to. We've all got that picture, you know, we can, we can see whether we've seen it in real life or we've seen it in a movie, the beautiful young person that goes down a road and where they end up, broken down, sick, life full of regret. If you only go after what your heart is inclined to, what your eyes are inclined to, you'll find yourself there. God says, I want to pull you back. God's intent is that we'd see our actions for what they really are. You think back again to this garment that God talked about in Numbers 15. Satan is the one that wants to see just just white, right? It's all just, it's all okay. It's all all right. It's just follow your heart. Follow your heart. What the heart wants, the heart has to have. I can't be fulfilled if I don't do these things. And God says, I got a few threads for you to remind you, to stick out against that. Satan just wants us to see everything. He wants to see the whole law as trying to withhold from us. He wants to see following Jesus as trying to withhold from us. And God's saying, I will give you everything if you will understand what it is that I want for you. If you will make your decisions through a lens focused on me. When the inclination of our eyes and hearts comes up against what God says, there is a right and wrong direction to go. Are you in the midst of such a decision today? Is there something that's going on with you, your heart, your feelings, everything in you, maybe even people you respect are telling you to go one way or it's all right to go one way? Will you take that decision back to God 
and see what he has to say about it. Step back and trust God. Step away from the stuff that's going to get swallowed up by the earth and trust God. You know, you've got those threads in contrast to the rest of the garment, and you've got God placing his son in contrast, leader, in everything that should be done. If you want to get ahead, if you want to make something big, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That doesn't sound like winning, does it? But it is. He's got his son. He's got those threads in contrast to everything else that's going on. And he's got his son in contrast that we can keep looking to. So anyway, this again, amazing to me that these then give us a group of such wonderful psalms. Last week, Rick showed how many of their words from Psalms um, 43, 44, and 45 were fulfilled in the New Testament, right? And we'll do some more of that uh, today, uh, Lord willing. Um, First Chronicles 9.19 tells us this, Shalom, the son of Korah, and his brethren of the house of his father, the Korahites, were over the work of the service keepers of the gates of the tabernacle, and their fathers, being over the host of the Lord, were keepers of the entry. So the sons of Korah still assigned, and this was they were assigned by David to do these things. So this is quite a while after Moses, and the sons of Korah were in position. And many of us know this phrase, Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. You ever heard that before? Oh, yeah, we all know it. You know who said it? The sons of Korah. Psalm 84. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Because the tents of the wicked get swallowed up. Or they go in the lake of fire. There's not a good destination for them either way. These guys saw their past, and they responded to God in that. Amazing. So you're not limited by what your forefathers were. You're not limited by what your forefathers were. I wasn't trying to get a louder amen. I'm I'm emphasizing it. Uh, Look how God's love extends to these sons of Korah. He allows them to be near to him in the temple. And you go back to number 16. What did Moses keep saying? He will show who he will draw near to. And God drew near to the sons of Korah. Not to Korah, but to the sons of Korah. He allowed them to be near him in the temple. He allowed them to write to these beautiful psalms that are prophetic in nature We talk about the promise of America. You can become anything you want. What about the promise of God? How much higher is the God dream than the American dream? How much more valuable is that? And people are dying to get into this country. Are we dying to take hold of what God has taken hold of us for? Or is it just like Monday morning? A little here, a little there. What's it, you know, a little religion, don't go crazy. 
Rick has a phrase that he talks about all the time with that, and I'll have to memorize it. Our citizenship is elsewhere. Don't forget it. You're also not grandfathered in by what your forefathers did. I would encourage you not to neglect your spiritual legacy. Right? Don't look at don't look at those that came before you and go, oh, that was their thing. Don't neglect it. Find out about it. I wish I had talked to my parents more about their overall spiritual legacy. I kind of lived it with them, but to ask them about the things that God had done in their lives, I just didn't spend a whole lot of time doing it. Don't make the same mistake, Bryce. Just kidding. Um, Don't neglect your spiritual legacy, but I would certainly discourage you from relying on it. That's not to be relied on. There's one that's relied on, and it's Jesus Christ. God has so much for you. Do not neglect what he has for you. So after my half-hour introduction, let's go to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah, what do you think about that? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. This psalm is the basis for the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never Failing. Uh, That was written by Martin Luther. And it's got future occurrence written all over it. We've got, The earth being removed, which you can see in Revelation 20, verse 11. I'll read it. We got extra time today because I had three pages of notes that are still sitting on the printer at home. So there's three pages of stuff I'm not doing. God moves in a mysterious way. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. A river whose streams will make glad the city of God. Revelation 22 verse 1 talks about that. And he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. 
the earth melting. Second uh, Peter three ten. I love Second Peter. Thank you for letting me teach Second Peter to you. Wonderful, wonderful book. Mm, nope, that's First Peter. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Focus your works on the eternal. We get real caught up in the works of the here and now. Focus your works on the eternal. Making wars cease. Revelation 21.4 says there'll be no death, no sorrows or tears, all those things that war is focused on. It says that God will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. Some fulfillment of this is now. And in many of these things, we see, uh, we see some fulfillment while these guys are writing about them. We see additional fulfillment as time goes on. And eventually... It says of the, of the new Jerusalem when it comes down that all the glory of the nations will be brought into it and God will be exalted in all the earth. There will be none that are not bringing glory to God. And so there's this future portion of that. What do we see now, right? Since Christ, all the Gentiles being welcomed in. So all the nations have some that are exalting God. At the end, all will be exalting God. And these sons of Korah, with a terrible legacy, are given insight and the ability to write down things that would encourage us now about who God is and what he's doing. So it talks about within this psalm, who is God to us? Verse 1, our refuge and strength, a very present help. Uh, it also, if you have footnotes at the bottom of your of your page there on Psalm 46, it would say an abundantly available help, a very present help. It doesn't matter how you feel. He is a very present help. He is abundantly available. We choose. Different things. And so we think we got this empty box of garbage here because we go off to something else. And that's not what it is. It's the very presence of God. Don't choose a different way. He is abundantly available to you. No matter what your feelings tell you, no matter what your mind says, I don't have an answer. God couldn't possibly be here. He is a very present help, abundantly available to you. Amazing. Verse 5, he's in our midst. Verse 1 and verse 5, he is our help. Verse 7 is repeated in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is is our refuge. So what are our actions? Verse 2, not fear. 
Therefore, we will not fear. So it comes up. Like, how do you stop that feeling? Well, it's not stopping the feeling. It's stopping being controlled by it. Therefore, we will not fear. Verse 4, we will be made glad. Verse 5, we'll not be moved. Verse 8, behold, pay attention, give your awareness to the works of the Lord. Come, behold the works of the Lord. You can't know them if you don't read them or listen to God's word. I mean, you can see him now. Like, there's, so there's works out there, too, right? his creation. We know of his divine qualities from his creation. But beholding the works of the Lord, going back and seeing what he's done in the history of his people, how are we going to behold those? How are we going to be aware of those unless we're spending time finding out what they are? The enemy does not want you reading the Bible. It's hard for a reason. It's hard for a reason. It's not just you. You're not just this actively working against you to be able to sit still and read or to turn off what you would be listening to and turn on listening to a sermon. Say, I want to behold the works of God. I want to be aware of the works of God. And he's going to fill you up with things that you will be astounded by. So grateful to God for his word. You won't see them in the light of what they are without eyes of faith. And your faith will be built by reading and listening. First. There's a whole bunch of songs that have been made from just this. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in troubled days. A mighty fortress is our God. So many ways that we can learn and, and, and put God's word into us. If we'll just be aware. So I want to speak for a few minutes, and this is where my notes end, so this part might get a little choppy, but I won't be too long about it. Um, The nations raged. I want to speak a little bit about verse 6. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. And you've got um, be silent with all of the destructive things that go on around us. Why is God being silent? Why isn't God speaking? Why isn't he revealing himself? Because if he would, then we'd believe in him. He'd just reveal himself. Well, he has revealed himself, but we don't hear this thundering voice from God that says, hey, you, cut it out, or you're going to be destroyed. We don't hear it, right? So if we go to, you don't have to turn there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around a little. Revelation, we hear many different voices, and sometimes it's difficult to tell who's saying what, right? There's thunderings and the sound of many waters and 
this angel says this, and then something else is said, but we don't know who it's applied to. We know of at least one place where God is speaking, and we'll get to it in a couple of minutes here. Uh, Revelation eleven nineteen. this is after the seven trumpets, right? The first part of the destruction that's going on in Revelation is related to seven trumpets. A third of the earth is burned up. A third of the sea is turned to blood. That sounds gross. A third of all the, uh, of all the living creatures in the sea die. There's a plague of locusts that's unleashed, and they sting you, and it hurts so bad you want to die, but you can't. Doesn't sound fun. A third of all mankind dies. And there's other things in addition to this. So this is not a good time of things that are going on in the earth. And it says, after this, uh, after this seventh trumpet, Revelation eleven nineteen, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. So after this seventh open, all right, chapter 12, Anthony Chapman talked about this a few weeks ago, is the freakiest nativity story you'll ever read, right? Go back and listen to what he said. There's a dragon waiting to eat the child. It's like crazy, not your normal manger scene, but what was going on behind the scenes, heaven's healed open and allow for us to see. Uh, chapter 13, we've got beasts coming from the earth and from the sea. Chapter 14, we've got the 144,000. Uh, we've got the harvest of the earth being fulfilled, being complete. And we've got the harvest of the grapes of wrath being filled. Harvest of the Grapes of Wrath. I want to find exactly where that is. Uh, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully, rat, fully ripe. So we have this harvest that occurs there. Then in 15, it says, After these things... Right? The temple is open, and it says, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. So now it's the inner sanctuary of the temple that's open. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues. So this is more stuff that's going to occur. Clothed in bright linen and having their chests skirted with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple for the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So we know now that the temple is empty beside God. The temple in heaven is empty beside God. So here we hear God speaking in chapter 16, and we know that it's God speaking because there's nobody else there. 16 verse 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. 
So the sons of Korah write in Psalm 46, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. And I would suggest there's a lot of people that don't want to hear what God has to say next. There's a lot of people that don't want to hear God saying, go and pour out my wrath on the earth. He's speaking to us in many ways. He's speaking to us through his son. He's speaking to us through his word. He's speaking to us through one another. He's speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to us through the creation that he's made. But that voice that people want to hear, God, speak directly to me, that might just melt you. And if you won't listen to any of those other things, the only voice you are going to hear is the one of wrath. The only knowledge you're going to have of him is the one of wrath. If you know him, you know a lot of people that are in that position. We don't have to convince people of the truth, but we need to know the truth to be able to explain it to them. What they do with it is up to them. We have this great forward-looking psalm here from the sons of Korah. We have the ability to not let anything hinder us from drawing near to God except the inclination of our own hearts and eyes. That is the one thing that will get in the way. We can't blame it on anything else from what God's calling us to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't deal with us as we deserve. We thank you that we can turn, God. Again, we don't know what happened to this guy on, whether he repented in the middle of the rebellion, but you don't say that he was destroyed and the others you specifically single out. And we thank you that you've given us the ability to repent. And we thank you that there is nothing holding us back from serving you fully. Help us to accept the lot that you have drawn for us. Help us to be satisfied in where we are. And help us to serve you with all of our heart from that place and allow you to be who you are. A very present help. An abundantly available help. Father, if there are theirs here, if there are those here that don't know you, would you stir their heart now to say, to understand I've not been listening? And to know that you've provided a way out. Acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus. The wrath that will be poured out on others is the wrath that you poured out on your son on our behalf. And we don't have to experience any of it. Would you turn their hearts to accept your son? And if you're here and that's you, then come talk to me or somebody else and say, I want what God has for me. Bless your holy name, Lord. And we pray these things.